The passage is Romans 12, 1 to 2. So Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. It's great to be with you again this morning and be able to share with you. This is the fourth in our series about worship and the last one. And so if you haven't been here, let me just catch you up quickly with where, where, what we've seen so far. The, the most important thing that we've thought about is that Jesus is actually the great worshipper. Jesus is the great worshipper. He is the one who comes and offers a true and perfect worship of God, his heavenly Father. And he makes it possible for us to worship. By his act of worship, he turns us into worshippers as well. He shows us what God the Father is like. He makes a way for us to come to God the Father, provides access by forgive, through the forgiveness of our sins, we're able to actually come and be worshippers of God. And then Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit and the Spirit empowers us to know God and to give ourselves in worship to God. So this is the, the most important thing so far. But we haven't really talked so much about what worship actually is. That is, what do you actually do? To worship God. Jesus makes worship possible. What do we actually do to worship God? So I want to think about worship in the Bible. And as we look at the whole Bible's story of worship, the startling thing about it really is just how much worship in the Bible is about sacrifices. Sacrifices. It really goes right back to the beginning of the story and we have Cain and Abel right back in Genesis outside the garden uh, offering, bringing offerings and sacrifices to God. This is not really explained but somehow instinctively they know that this is the kind of response to God that they should give, that, they, that from out of what they own and from out of what they gather they give back to God something. But right there, in that very first kind of act of sacrifice, we see that there, there are issues about it, that only one of the sacrifices is acceptable to God and one isn't, that not just any sacrifice apparently will do. And as we follow the story through, we see in the story of Noah and then Abraham and his children and the story of Israel and the Exodus, again and again, the people worshipping God by bringing offerings and sacrifices, presenting things to God, their harvest, presenting animals to God as sacrifices. And in fact, the people of Israel are given an entire, we might say, system of sacrifices by God at the heart of their worship, at the heart of their relationship with God is going to be a whole bunch of sacrifice that daily and yearly uh, individuals and for groups they are going to bring, be bringing God sacrifices sometimes animals sometimes other things grain wine fruit produce and so on and they're going to be a special group of people who offer the sacrifices on their behalf 
priests. The worship of the people of Israel is focused in on sacrifice by special people in a special place. And that this is how their relationship with God is going to be conducted. And we can see as they offer those sacrifices, two kinds, two broad kinds of sacrifices that they offer. Some of their sacrifices we could call sacrifices of approach. That is, they're sacrifices that make it possible for them to come to God. Sacrifices for the forgiveness of their sins, sacrifices that mark them out as God's own people, sacrifices that allow them to come to God. But not all the sacrifices are like that. Not all the sacrifices are for sins. Some of them are ways of expressing thankfulness to God. Some of them are ways of expressing their gratitude for God's generosity in giving them a harvest or giving them forgiveness and salvation for the way that God rescued them from Egypt. So some of the sacrifices are just ways, free ways of expressing their joy, their gladness, their thankfulness to God. And it's this, the life of the people of Israel, as I say, is just full of sacrifice to a degree that we might just find a bit scandalous. I mean, I probably very few of us actually like killing animals or the thought of animals being killed in this way. Uh, of course, most of us eat meat, so there is some sacrifice going on somewhere. We just don't see it. But for the people of Israel, it was really visible and it was pretty full on. You, the, the temple worship was full of smells. Uh, the smells of animals slaughtered and animals cooked. And uh, it was very clear that you know, it was a serious business. Blood was being shed. When they are getting ready for the, uh, the temple to be built, when they've completed the preparations for the building of the temple, we're told that uh, the people of Israel sacrificed a thousand bulls, a thousand. And then when the temple is completed, they really go crazy. Uh, and the, when they dedicate the temple to God, they celebrate. And it says, 2 Chronicles 5 verse 6, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be numbered or counted. Presumably more than a thousand, which they could count. That's a lot of sacrifice, isn't it? That's just a huge, massive festival uh, of animals being offered to God. Well, within the, the story of the people of Israel, there's also a criticism of this. Not, that, not the sacrifices themselves, but the people of Israel bringing sacrifices in a way that was essentially meaningless, a kind of mechanical bringing of sacrifice to God, expecting that it would have some kind of effect and then living a life apart from that which totally denied the person's relationship with the Lord God. And so David and the prophets criticised people for this kind of meaningless sacrifice. Um, sacrifice without repentance. Sacrifice without actually turning away from sin. So David says, the sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The sacrifice God really wants, he says, is broken-heartedness to say, I'm, I failed you, God. I need your help. They're critical of sacrifice without obedience or without true thankfulness to God. Psalm 50 says, those who bring thanksgiving as their sacrifice 
honor me to those who do the right who go the right way i will show the salvation of god it's going the right way in your life it's thankfulness that god is really seeking and thankful uh, uh, sacrifice without mercy is also criticized hosea says that god says i desire mercy not sacrifice crazy coming to God and offering sacrifices and then not showing mercy to other people in your life and so we heard uh, right back at the start of the series the words of Isaiah in chapter 1 that God hates the worship of the people of Israel that their hands are full of blood and so he disregards all their worship including their sacrifices and uh, when Jesus comes into the story he comes therefore as the person who actually lives this kind of life that God is seeking. A person who is merciful, a person who is obedient, a person who is thankful. And Jesus is repentant, not in the sense that he has sins that he needs to turn away from, but in the sense that he's committed to a continual turning away from sin in his life, symbolised by his baptism. And Jesus, having lived that life, then does offer the right sacrifice to God. He offers his own life as a sacrifice and again and again the new testament will speak of jesus death in terms of sacrifice and offering one example ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to god jesus himself spoke of his death in this way you remember at the last supper when jesus spoke about his death as being about the blood of the covenant this is the language of sacrifice. Jesus is going to give his life for his people. Jesus offered himself completely to God for us. Everything he gave for our sake. This was an act of total worship, complete worship for our sake. And through this, as I said, Jesus becomes our worship leader. He becomes the one who is our high priest who leads us in the worship of God so what are we to offer to God well what are we to offer him in return for what Jesus has done for us this is what Paul writes about in our short passage today so if you'd just like to open that up there on page four here's I think a tremendous summary in the New Testament of what our worship is meant to be he writes I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Our worship of God is also going to be about sacrifice. But notice, first of all, that it is in view of God's mercy, or literally in view of God's mercies. That is, Paul has in mind some specific things that God has been merciful in doing, and he's already written about them in the letter. So here in chapter 12, he's kind of bringing it all together and applying it to the to the people that he's writing to what has he talked about so far in terms of God's mercies well this very thing that Jesus became a sacrifice of atonement for us that's back in chapter 3 that God has made us right with him he's justified us through Jesus sacrifice we're now acceptable in God's sight chapter 3 and 4 that we have now experience of God's love poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit chapter 5 that we now have a new life a new way of life where we put to death the old way of life 
and live a new life of righteousness, chapter 6. And we now have the Spirit of God that helps us to know and cry out to God, our Heavenly Father, chapter 8. And now we have a great hope for the future that God is going to renew the whole creation, also chapter 8. In view of these tremendous, wonderful, extraordinary mercies of God, what are we to do? Offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. This is what real worship is about. It's interesting, he says, we're to offer our bodies to God. And, uh, well, what does he mean by that? Well, of course, this, is, this makes sense in some ways because that is always what has been offered to God in sacrifice, bodies, right? The bodies of the animal. But now we're to offer our bodies to God. And really, this means effectively our whole lives. Uh, I don't know about you, but pretty much I, everything I do, I do with my body. And I find it hard to do anything without my body. It's just that's how we live. So really, worship now is going to extend to everything, every area of our life, everything that we do with our bodies. And Paul says that the mind has a role to play in this, that our minds need to be transformed and changed in order to worship God. But it's really our minds transformed so that what we then do with our bodies is worship of God. That is, worship really is not particularly on the mental level. It's not an engagement with God in your mind, primarily, but actually what what your body is then led to do. So you might say, well, you know, I'm a very spiritual person. I think about God a lot. Well, good, but that's not worship in the end. It's not kind of just thinking about God or having an encounter with God in your mind or something like that, but what you then go on to do with your body. Real worship happens in the world, the physical world of bodies and energy and matter. And the good news about this sacrifice that we're called to make is that it is, unlike the other sacrifices, a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. So you're called not to give your body up to death in this way, in the first place, but actually it's going to be an ongoing giving of your life to God, a living sacrifice of what you do with your body for God. And Paul says that this is uh, what is holy and pleasing to God and your true and proper worship. And this is a really good translation of just one Greek word true and proper uh, the idea here is that this is the this is the reasonable worship this is the worship that makes sense there are all kinds of worship in the world as we've thought about and that worship doesn't make sense much of the worship in the world of course is the worship of false gods that doesn't make sense but there is also the worship which is just saying that you're worshiping the true God and maybe singing the songs and praying the prayers, maybe bringing the animal to sacrifice like the people in the Old Testament, but then the rest of your life has nothing to do with God. And that's not reasonable worship. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. The worship is just giving lip service to God doesn't make sense. But this worship is, is true and proper in that it's the giving of a person's whole life to God. God has given us everything And we are called to give everything in worship of him. 
And Paul says this requires the transformation of our minds. That is, our normal way of living is not true and proper worship of God. Our normal way of thinking is not oriented to God and so we need our minds changed. This is about our thinking and about our outlook. So we talked a couple of weeks ago about the need to hear God's word and as the Spirit works in our life to respond to him, to change our thinking and therefore change our lives. The life of worship is about our minds being transformed so that what we do with our bodies worship worships God and as a community of God's people we seek to be a place where we hear God's word where our minds are transformed week by week as we gather together and we go out into the world to worship God with our bodies so here is uh, a definition of worship if uh, that comes out of what we've looked at over these four weeks true worship is the the whole of our life offered to God the Father through Jesus his son in the power of the Spirit, directed by our minds as our minds are shaped by the Word of God. The whole of our life offered to God. So what does that look like? Well, I think when we talk about offering our bodies, offering our whole lives in this way, uh, it's good to think about the breadth of our life and the length of our life and also the depth of of our life if I can use that kind of language the breadth of our life the length and the depth and let me just mention each of these in turn first of all the breadth of our life if we want to be worshippers in this way it means thinking about every aspect right across our life and thinking about how that can be offered to God in worship and this will mean that worship will include much that is mundane and everyday just the normal things the normal ways that you spend your time how can this be worship how can it be offered up to God in sacrifice and I think this this really does involve a change in our thinking about the, the reason we do things and where it's all directed towards how can the most mundane things be worship of God uh, here's a little book that uh, I've read recently and I think is a really good one it's called the everyday gospel and I, I don't know if you can see the picture here is and the subtitle is a theology of washing the dishes theology of washing the dishes by Tim Chester and uh, it's a very helpful book under 50 pages which is my kind of book um, how can washing the dishes be worship of God uh, well, he explores this in a number of ways, and I think it's really incredibly helpful just to choose something. You know, there is there's nothing hardly in the world more mundane than washing the dishes, right? Uh, he says uh, this in various ways. This can be offered to God in sacrifice. In this section of the book, he highlights uh, the the worship language in Hebrews chapter thirteen. So listen to this. this is what Hebrews says uh, through Jesus. Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Praising God, doing good to others and serving them is a sacrifice of worship to God. How does that fit in with washing up? 
Well, you can do washing up for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons you could do it is to serve others. This is what Tim Chester says here. Notice what form this takes. It is the fruit of lips that confess his name. It is sung and said, but it is also doing good and sharing with others. It is also lived and loved. It is also washing the dishes. Doing the dishes is a sacrifice of praise for the finished sacrifice of Christ. When I wash up, I deny myself. I put others first. I say, in effect, that something matters more to me than my comfort. And that someone is Jesus. When I was living for self, I would gladly let others do the dishes. But now Jesus is my treasure, my life, my joy. And so offering him a sacrifice of washing the dishes becomes my delight. To offer the washing to him as a sacrifice of praise points my heart sorry points my heart back to the cross back to the place where i find love mercy and grace it points me back to the place where my heart is melted and molded isn't that interesting here is a way of thinking about worship that can go to the very most boring mundane things in life that when we do it to serve God, when we do it to serve other people, when we do it out of love, can become a worship thing, a sacrifice of response to God for what he's done for us. Uh, in a similar vein, a, a really different kind of book, and I think this is available on the bookstore, Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren. She's an Anglican minister in America. And uh, that's a really interesting book as well. And basically, just I've only, only read half of it so far, or less than half, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I'm in the middle of it. Let's say that. Um, she takes you through a normal day and how she has tried to let the ordinary things of life become meaningful as worship of God. So, for example, the first one is making the bed. And she talks about uh, making the bed as an act of bringing order out of chaos, a godlike worship activity, which we do in our lives. And also uh, just gives her space. Once she's made the bed, she says she sits on the bed and she remembers her baptism, Re remembers her baptism. She remembers that she has been baptised and she belongs to God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit because of that. And that so that the rest of her day is going to be lived out as a person who belongs to God in that way. The next one is brushing her teeth and so on. And so it's just trying to say, how can we consciously bring this to our minds that each and every aspect of our lives is directed towards God and the good of other people and therefore can be sacrificial worship. That's about the breadth of our, our life. And so things like eating, and the thankfulness that should uh, come with eating uh, a part of the breadth of our life. And I think in order to live a life of worship in this way, of, of course, the thing that we most need to think about as worship is our work. Our work. Uh, you're going to spend a lot of your time working, and if that's not worship, then there's a big kind of worship hole in your life. But whether you're paid or unpaid in your work, uh, how can this be worship of God? Well, if it's merely done to serve yourself, then I guess it's not worship 
but if it's done to serve others, if it's done to help hum human beings flourish in the world, if it's done as an act of service, then of course it can be worship. And Paul says in Colossians chapter 4 that even the work of slaves, unpaid, owned by someone else, even the work of slaves can by faith be serving the Lord Jesus. That even that kind of work uh, which we might regard as you know, incredibly distasteful and so on, nevertheless can be worship of God through faith. What about sleeping? If you're like me, you've spent a fair bit of your life sleeping. Can that be worship of God? But how could it be worship of God? I'm not even thinking about God when I'm asleep. How could it be worship? Well, yeah, no, worship is not about... what It's not, not done with the mind, it's done with the body. And I sleep with my body. Can it be worship? Well, if I'm consciously resting so that I have the energy to serve God and other people in my life, then that could be worship. If I've fallen down drunk and I'm asleep in the garden, probably not worship. But if I've deliberately decided to go to bed at a certain time, to be refreshed, to be able to serve God in my life, yeah, worship. And I could even say that to God, going to bed. Thank you for this rest. I offer it to you in worship. Wake up in the morning. Thank you, God, for the sleep that you've given me. That kind of thing. The breadth of our life, everything that we do could be worship of God. We need also to think about the length of our life as worship as well. That at every stage, our lives are meant to be worship of God. Can our study, can our career, can our retirement be worship of God? Can our dying and the legacy we leave be worship of God? Can our marriage, our family or being unmarried be worship of God? all the plans and dreams that we have at each stage, in what way are they about worshipping God? In what way are they offered to God? And so we need to have a view of the whole length of our life as something that can be potentially offered to God in worship. But it also needs to start now. That is, you don't know how long you've got. I don't know how long I've got. Uh, and it's no, no use saying, at some future point, I will really start worshipping God with my life. No, it has to begin straight away. A minister that I used to know told me the story of a man who used to say to him, Sunday by Sunday, uh, when, I, when I reach 50 years old, I'm going to come and work with you full time. I'm just, I just uh, need to finish the work that I'm doing now and then I'll have enough money, I'm going to retire at 50, I'm going to come and work with you in the church. And so he would just turn up on Sundays and had no other involvement at all. The man died aged 49, of a heart attack. He never made it. He never actually reached the point of serving God. Uh, and so we can't put it off. It needs to begin straight away. So the breadth of our life, the length of our life, but thirdly, the depth of our life should be worship of God. And uh, I think here is where it becomes most challenging. It might be that every area of our life is offered to God in worship, it might be that the length is as well, but it just may not go very deep. And here the question I think really is, is our sacrificial worship of God really 
very sacrificial. This, we use that language of sacrifice now entirely metaphorically to mean something that we give up. And actually this comes out of this Christian view of worship. That it is meant to be a real giving up or giving back to God for what he has done for us. But if it has really no significant impact on our life, we'd probably be right to ask, is it really very sacrificial? Is it really very sacrificial? Is there a real giving up in my life for the sake of others? Is there any real cost that makes a discernible difference, that affects my lifestyle, that reduces my security, that reduces my wealth, that reduces my status, and so on? Is there a noticeable impact from what I give up in order to serve God, in order to worship God? What does what I give up say about how I value what Jesus has done for me through his worship? And here, I guess we're really talking about what is uh, in, our, in our hearts, what, how deep our worship really goes. You might remember in Harry Potter, there is uh, the mirror of Erised. Do you remember this? That Harry find, discovers this mirror, I think, uh, and it shows him his heart's desire. His heart's desire. And when he looks in the mirror, being a very good little boy, good-hearted little boy, he sees himself with his parents. How wonderful. That's his heart's desire, to be there with his parents. Uh, I think Ron sees himself as the captain of the Quidditch team. Is that right? Something like that. Uh, well, I think this is a really incredible device and a, a lot more could have been made of it in the story if it was a more adult story. Maybe it'll make a comeback. Maybe it has made a comeback. Um, what would I see, what would you see if you looked in the mirror? Your heart's desire. Would it be your heart's desire to see Jesus and your whole life offered up to him? Or would, you see some, would I see something else? Would I see something else? Uh, you might have heard of uh, the movie, famous Russian movie called Stalker by a director called Andrei Tarkovsky, 1979. And uh, this film is a, just a, it's a sort of set in this... After some terrible event has happened in the world and there is a, a wasteland called the Zone. It's a forbidden wasteland. How this has happened, no one's quite clear. And in the zone is a place called the room. And uh, the stalker is he's, he's not an evil person or anything, he's a guide. He, he takes people into the illegal zone and he takes them to the room. And if, when someone goes in the room, they get their heart's desire. They get the thing that they most want. And so stalker, we in the story, takes a man called the professor and a man called the writer uh, on a journey into the zone to go to the room. And on the way to the zone, he tells them about another stalker who went into the room. Uh, and the stalker's name was Porcupine. I don't know why. And uh, he talks about how Porcupine went into the room because 
he wanted his brother to be healed of his, his sickness. He had a brother who was unwell. He wanted his brother to be healed of his sickness. And so he went on a journey and he went into the room. But when he came back from the room, his brother was not healed. But porcupine was rich. That's a more adult version of the, the mirror of Erised. This is a question, if we went into the room, what would happen? What is our heart's desire? Is it to offer and give our lives in worship? Or would it be revealed that actually we worship something else? We worship other things. And so here's the challenge to give the whole, the depth of our life in every aspect, in a sacrificial way to God in worship. This is a big challenge, but of course it's easier to do in a community where everyone else around you also wants to give their life to God in worship, the depth of their life, the breadth and length. And that's what it is to be part of a great church. It makes it easier together to sacrifice for God. Let's pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for giving your son as a sacrifice for our sake. We thank you for Jesus' total worship. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit so that we can worship you. We pray that you would please help us to worship you totally, to give our whole life to you, to give everything back to you, to devote all that we are and all that we have back to you in worship. Please give us the courage to turn away from the other things that we love more. Please give us courage to turn away from our idols and to worship you alone. Please help us to give everything to you. And as we do that, to find true freedom and joy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.